All right, I guess I'll knock another one of these out today. Start recording now. My Spectacular Life, a memoir in the key of storytelling by Thomas Rose. Chapter 2. New York, New Problems? Ah, Chapter 2. Makes me nostalgic for the days of Chapter 1. As you recall, I had just dropped out of school, and I was heading to New York City with my friend Edward to try and make it big as musicians. Shit, did I lisp on that? I don't want to record the whole sentence again. I'm just going to leave it. Uh, take this part out. All right, I'll spike it to remember where I was. Yeah! Okay. New York City. The Big Apple. Giuliani's Playground. The city that is in real life just how it is in movies and film. We were gonna make it. The drive from our little Midwestern town to New York City was about 15 hours, which gave me so much time to practice my singing. Edward cried almost the whole trip. That's how poignant my singing was. When we finally arrived in New York City, I was bright-eyed and hopeful. Edward's eyes, on the other hand, were bloodshot. He didn't know the first thing about hope. The first night in New York, I had to sleep in my car. Edward stood outside and kept watch. We were supposed to do this in shifts, but I really needed my rest after all that singing. He understood. It was all so romantic, sleeping in my car, a singer-songwriter like Jewel. When I awoke, I knew we needed to find an apartment right away. Edward begged to get a chance to sleep in the car first, but New York City real estate, you can't waste a minute. I ended up finding a place for us to live on Craigslist, of all places. It had everything the two of us needed. A bed for me to sleep in. A rigid chair for Edward. Everything. I let Edward know that he would be paying for the first month's rent. It had been my idea to move to New York, so he owed me one. Edward suggested that I get a day job to help with the financial burden while we got on our feet musically. Can you believe how pessimistic he was? He even got a job himself. I think it was at a grocery store. I never asked. Those first few weeks in New York were a bohemian blur. Edward working his fingers to the bone, me working my fingers to the piano. I was young and hungry. See, Edward was always working, so he never had time to cook for me. I felt like Billy Joel, playing piano by day, getting a DUI in Edward's car by night. The only trouble at the time was I was having a hard time writing lyrics. You see, music comes to me easily. Listen to this piano riff. Pretty good, huh? But lyrically, I was as uncreative as Edward. I felt like Elton John, and I needed to find my Bernie Sanders. When I complained to Edward about this, 
he told me he actually had a whole notebook full of song lyrics he'd been writing during his breaks at the store. Can you believe that? What a careerist. I didn't have time to read Edward's lyrics. I needed a songwriter, a real one. That's when I had an epiphany. Craigslist. I found a room to rent there. Maybe I could find a songwriter. I put up an ad in the casual encounters section that said teenage boy penis seeks partner. Only one gentleman responded, and as luck would have it, he was a songwriter. He invited me over to his apartment at three in the morning that night. His name was Patrick James Dowlin. I love it when a guy has three names. He gave me his address and said, make sure you don't bring any witnesses. I get it. I'm shy about my art, too. I wanted to go myself, but I was so tired from posting on Craigslist, so I asked Edward if he would go in my stead, just get the lyrics and bring them back to me. Edward was apprehensive, as cowards often are. He said, why not go in the daytime? As if inspiration can just strike whenever. It was so hard to convince Edward to go to the songwriter's apartment. I ended up having to waterboard him in our bathtub just to get him out of the house. Can you imagine? What a silly guy he was. Before he left, I told Edward to leave his cell phone in the apartment. See, mine was running out of battery and I didn't feel like charging it, of course. Edward reluctantly dropped his cell phone, sighed, and walked out of the apartment. It was the last time I'd ever see him. Was that dramatic enough? Maybe I'll redo that. It was the last time I'd ever see him. That was better. When I woke up the next morning, Edward was nowhere to be found. I tried to email the Craigslist songwriter Patrick James Dowlin to see if Edward was still over at his place, but the Craigslist account had been deleted. What are you going to do? I was pacing around the apartment, wondering what Edward could still be doing over there, and then it hit me. Edward probably never even went to the songwriter's apartment. He abandoned me because he couldn't hack it in New York. That cowardly coward. I mean, all the signs were there. He didn't take any of his belongings because he knew that would arouse suspicion. And he left his car because he knew I needed it. I was furious. The next week was the longest week of my entire life. I received constant phone calls from Edward's parents, the authorities, a private detective, all asking about Edward, Edward, Edward. No one wanted to know how I was doing. I thought about telling them about the 3 a.m. rendezvous with the stranger from Craigslist, but what was the point? Edward had run out on me. He didn't want to be found. He was probably on an island somewhere with a big bottle of alcohol, just laughing in all of our faces. (laughs) You really did it, Edward. 
you got away. But enough about Edward. What was I going to do? I mean, I was abandoned by my one friend and bandmate, and I still didn't have anyone to write lyrics for me. This was a problem Edward would never understand. Because he just runs away from things. Not me. I was going to find lyrics for my songs one way or another, and I was going to turn those lyrics and songs into the greatest album of all time. I stayed up the whole night in the apartment, thinking and trashing Edward's belongings. And that's when I had another revelation. Edward's notebook. The notebook was full of lyrics. Why didn't I read them and see maybe if they were any good? Well, there was one problem there. (laughs) I basically couldn't read. So I decided to hire someone to read them for me. And I went to my favorite website, Craigslist. The first reader that I got to come over was a bit of a liar. See, he ended up robbing my apartment. More of a robber than a reader. But the second one read the lyrics to me, and I hate to admit this, but they were genius. Sometimes I wonder if I should have given Edward's lyrics a chance before I made him go to the apartment of a Craigslist man, but then I remember he didn't even go to that apartment. He abandoned me. It was no matter. I had what I wanted. I had music, I had lyrics, and boy howdy, I had an album to make. Jesus Christ, boy howdy? That's not something I say. Again, I don't, I'm not gonna, yeah, whatever, leave it, leave it, leave it. I found the best studio that money could buy, and I booked myself a week-long session. It was all happening. I got in Edward's car, which was my car now, and headed towards the studio. There was no looking back. I was 16 years old, with a song in my heart, a chip on my shoulder, a DUI on my record, and a squirrel in the car. It took over an hour to get it out. When I was finally outside of the studio, I took a deep breath and reflected. Just months ago, I was in some high school talent show in some loser town, and now I was going to make an album in New York City. It is amazing, the triumph of the human spirit. Well, this human, at least. I was ready for that short, brisk walk to superstardom. Now, in the studio, it was just me, my voice, my talent, my keyboard, and an engineer named Jimmy. He was absolutely dreadful. The man was a total control freak, and he almost derailed my vision entirely. He had all these insane rules for the studio, and if I even broke one a little bit, he would raise his voice at me. I'll give you an example. One time, in between sessions, he actually yelled at me just because I got barbecue sauce on his mixing board while I was eating some baby back ribs. I mean, Jimmy, what was I supposed to do? Starve? Listen, ribs are a messy food, and hey, 
isn't life a little bit messy? He kept accusing me of wasting his time, as if his time was the time that mattered. I was the genius. He was just some studio hack who hated chilies, apparently. We got in some pretty epic spats. I remember I let him know that my keyboard was out of tune, and he said, Uh, keyboards are electronic, so they can't be out of tune, and even if they could be, uh, there's no way for me to fix it. (laughs) Well, if you can't fix it, and you're a studio engineer, then buddy, what the fuck am I paying you for? That became sort of my catchphrase during the recording, as it were. One night, he even tried to leave early at four in the morning to get some sleep and see his wife and kids as if my creative process meant nothing. The fight got so bad, we each did some things we regret. I stuffed a couple moist towelettes into his eyeballs. He used some very rude words. We were both out of line. I'll be the first to admit it. I think this is where I started to get my diva reputation. The songs flowed right out of me. We ended up with ten tracks, nine of which were using Edward's lyrics, and then there was one that I actually wrote the lyrics for myself. It was called Squirrel in the Car. You probably remember it, you know? Don't know who you are, you're just a squirrel in my car. No one ever requests that one at concerts. I have to admit, Edward's lyrics were really beautiful, and they really inspired me to do something special. I knew right away this was the album that would land me in the Piano Hall of Fame. The recording ended up taking eight days instead of the initial seven. Can't rush genius. Jimmy had the gall to suggest that I needed to pay him more since I'd only booked a week-long session, Uh, but a couple moist towelettes down his throat really changed his tune. Sure, we had our squabbles, but I think at the end of the day he was really proud of the work. He even invited some police officers over to hear it, but when they showed up I snuck out the back door. It was time for me to celebrate. I had the master tapes and I had Jimmy's wedding ring, which I had pried off during the altercation. I was on cloud nine. The only question was, how would I get this album out in the world? You know, if, a, if an album is released in the woods, does anyone get famous from it? Now, before I tell you the story of how I used those master tapes to get a record deal, I want to pause for a brief moment and share a letter I wrote to Edward right after I finished the recording. It said, Dear Edward, fuck it, just keep it, Dear Edward, It's been 17 days since you left me high and dry in New York City. I have so many questions. Why did you have to escape? You know, why couldn't you have just gone to the man's house at three in the morning like I asked you to, why has no one heard from you? I think you'll be happy to know that I just finished recording my first album. I ended up using some of your lyrics. Isn't that funny? I would give you songwriting credit, but clearly you don't want to be associated with me, so I'll just take it for myself. It was so selfish of you to leave, Edward, but just know that someday... I'll forgive you. 
I hope you're enjoying that beach or whatever bar you're running off to for your bender. The next time you're looking up at the moon, just know that I'll be looking at that same moon. And I'll be famous now. I'll never forget the way you left me, you fucking coward. Thomas. It's kind of ironic that I have such a hard time with lyrics when my letter writing is so eloquent. I didn't know what address to send the letter to, so I just sent it to his parents. I figured they'd pass it along to him once they finally got in touch with the guy. Funny thing is, I never heard back from him, so maybe his parents just framed it once I got famous. Or maybe they even sold it on eBay. Or hell, even Craigslist. So how did I get that album? From my bedroom to the Grammys? You'll find out in chapter three of My Spectacular Life, a memoir in the key of storytelling by Thomas Rose. Stop recording. God, this is oof, an undertaking. All right.